Let's do it. Lewis Alvesan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us calls. That'll get you right to the top of the list, get your questions answered. There you go. And you should happen not to get on the radio today or right. maybe think of something after we go off the air or even next week sometime. You can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and even when the shop's closed. You get, <laughs> get your question answered and get it back within 24 hours. That's right. And one thing, too, when you do want to contact me, what you need to do is go to the website and use that contact form. Uh-huh. Because I've noticed I had a, a, several people told me, man, I sent something I never did get an answer. We found they had an old email they had stored, or they had stored my email address, uh-huh. and they were sending it to that. Well, the way that works... All of my email gets redirected to several different sites, and that's okay. to keep spammers. If not, we'd have 20,000 spam things in there. And the form on the website knows where to send it. If you just send it to maybe where the last one came from, it's just going to the junk Could be going bin. to a different server Well, it just goes to a junk else. bin. It just discards it because it probably about every week or two, it changes the redirect to keep me from getting so much spam. Exactly. So you do need to go in and fill out a fresh form on the website each and every time. If you reply to an old email, I'm probably not going to get it. Or if you have me stored in your addresses, I probably won't get it. So just gotcha. go to the website each and every time, and that way it will come to me for sure. Lots of other good things you can do on there, too. The detailed topics, excellent source of information. Just put one on there this morning on wheel alignment. And this is on tow and tracking in particular. Uh-huh which is something that most people don't know a whole lot about. Next week, I'm going to follow it up with some more information on caster and camber and all that. What Two it is. pictures and Well, what it is, what it does, why it's there. Everybody's heard those words, but a lot of folks don't know what Understand they Understand what they do. Even a lot of guys who are doing wheel alignments do not have any clue <laughs> what those words mean. Yep. Other than you turn this till that turns green and it should drive straight and yeah. you don't know what's wrong. Exactly. This we see that you, every day. Oh, absolutely. This will give you a lot of insight into what they mean, why they're there, how they work, and so on and so forth. So pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, and I think you'll really like it. We're going to our phone line with Burl. Good morning, Burl. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. sir. Question is, what is the procedure of changing the power steering fluid? Okay, what kind of car, Burl? A camera. It's a 2000 Camry. If you want to do that yourself, it's very, very, very simple. There are a number of different I'm procedures. Simple. Yeah, just get something that'll suck the fluid out of the reservoir, like an old turkey baser type thing. Yeah. Even, even if you have to go to the store and buy you a brand new one to yeah, keep from ruining the wife's uh, <laughs> yeah. turkey baser there yeah, in the house. Go in there and get a good one and use that. You mean I can't use it to base the turkey? Well, not after you use the power, change the yeah, power okay. steering fluid. But, yeah. <laughs> go ahead and get your turkey cooked first. Right. But, yeah, you suck it out as much as you can, fill it with the proper fluid, let it run for about 10 minutes, and do it again. If you do that a couple of times, you're going to get virtually all the fluid out of there. I mean, there'll be a no tiny way, no amount. Way, but extract it twice? Yeah, do it two, even three times until it comes back don't clean. Put, took out the, the, no, no, just take that and discard it and then just put yeah. fresh fluid back in there. Yeah. It'll dilute what's left in there each time, and each time you'll get more and more out. So if you do it two or three times, you're going to get virtually all okay, of it so out. Okay, so I'll extract it, put some in, extract it, put some exactly, in. Exactly, and run it and between. Then, yeah, and then run, but run it 10 minutes. Yes, sir. And, extract, and you, don't, 10, you don't want to just leave. let it sit there and run either, Burl. What you want to do is slowly turn that wheel back and forth because, mm-hmm. see, if it's just sitting there running, it's not circulating through the rack and pinion. It's just bypassing yeah, yeah, the pump. 
So, you know, slowly turn your wheel back and forth. Mm -hmm. And by never letting it get dry, you don't have to worry about bleeding the system or anything. Well, I'm not having any problems mm -hmm. with it. I just didn't want to have any. Yeah, it's preventive. Right. Good preventive maintenance. Yeah. It's a good idea because most people don't think of the power steering fluid. Right. That's right. Well, can I ask you another question? You sure. Go ahead. I called you about two or three years old, two or three years ago to ask this question. Uh -huh. Now I'm two or three years older, and I forgot to answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah. Can you get an accurate oil reading on a cold engine? Yeah, the reading that you get on that stick, Merle, is no such thing as really an accurate or inaccurate read, and mm -hmm. I guess because it's not a precise instrument. I like to get my reading with the engine cold, or at very least let it sit for about five minutes before I take a reading. Yeah, okay. When it's hot, it does expand a little bit, but it also stays up in the top of the motor for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always check my oil first thing in the morning when it's cold. Well, that's and great, yeah. If you're a pint over, a pint under, it's really not great. It's not that precise yeah, I know, a thing. I know. Okay. But that's probably the best way. If you check it right after the engine's running, it's generally going to indicate low. Okay, well, I appreciate it. All righty. And, yeah, I, I just want to let you tell you, too, that I'm one of those who don't know what towing traction is. <laughs> well, go in there and read that article. Yeah. You, you know more about it than you thought there was to know. Thank you. All righty, right. brother. Thank bye you, bye. man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I've got a 2001 Jeep Cherokee, uh -huh. a 4.0. And the other day, my transmission started making a terrible grinding noise. Okay. We found out it was... It's grinding in first gear and reverse. Yes, sir. And I'm wondering exactly what the problem might be and how much it might cost me to have somebody fix it. Well, John, the problem is going to be something in that low reverse drum assembly. Right. It's going to be an internal problem. Right. That, yeah. You're grinding. Did you pull a stick and look at the fluid? Yeah, the fluid looks good. It's pink. It's not black or burned at all. My, well, you know, it, smell I don't it. know if it was actually pink. Yeah, I'll smell it, it and see if it smells a little bit like burnt popcorn. It probably does, and that's going to be your clutches chewed up. Although it could be something like a gear or a bearing, which won't darken the fluid. But the end result is going to be the same. How many miles you got on, John? You got about 185,000. Yeah, see, at that mileage, you're going to have to have a complete rebuild just because it's sort of like doing a heart transplant on a 100-year-old man. You yeah. know, 180,000 miles, there's not going to be much left in there in the way of stuff that wears that's going to be good. And it would be foolish to go in and just fix the problem and not change all the clutches, all the seals, the torque converter. So you're going to be into a full rebuild on it. It just depends on who does it, what quality standards, what quality of parts they use. A true, what I would call a rebuild, is going to probably be somewhere in the twenty-five dollars to $3,000 range. And that will give you a unit that will go another 180,000 miles plus. There are people who call a repair or rebuild, or they just go in and change what's broken, put it back together, average life, 12 months. The definition of a rebuild varies greatly. I know at AGCO, when we build one, we're going to change all the clutches, we're going to change all the seals, we're going to change the solenoids, plus we're going to change everything that we know normally breaks, and we're going to use upgraded parts, better than the originals, and give you a three-year, 50,000-mile warranty. But yeah, there's good. lots of people who just go in and they'll tear it down. Okay, this gear's bad. We're going to do that. We're going to put some seals in. We'll give it back to you. We're going to call it a rebuild. Well, it's not a rebuild. That's a repair. What you want to right. do, though, is you want to be very aware of calling around town and asking prices. Right. Because anybody yes, can anybody they're gonna, they're gonna, quote you any price you want. They're going to quote you a low ball price, and when you get in there, right. it's going to be on up there. I, I <laughs> yeah. almost guarantee you. Best thing to do. Well, that's why I was calling you guys. Yeah, best yeah. thing to do is call around and check on the reputation of the guy doing the work. In other words, call a competition and ask them. You okay. Call the competition of the shop you're thinking about and say, hey, answer two questions. Is he honest and is he technically competent? Because that's really all that matters. If he's honest, the price will be fair. If he's technically competent, he can fix the car. Yeah. So really nothing else matters. 
and just call, I always find if you ask around, you're going to get where you want to go. If you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Right. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, right. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Philip online. Good morning, Philip. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. Yesterday, I changed out one of my low beams was out on my Yukon XL. Yes, sir. So I went and I changed them both out in pairs because mm-hmm. I'd rather do that than have to change another one yes, two days later. Mm-hmm. But I noticed last night when I was driving the truck, mm-hmm. one beam was a slightly higher than the other one was slightly lower. How do I even out the, the beams to where they're level? There's an adjustment on there, Philip. You shouldn't have interfered with that just changing now, the bulb, though. On a Yukon, you have to pull the headlight assembly out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Right, right. To change the bulb. Two little L-shaped it's, brackets. It's possible right. you missed one of the brackets at the bottom. Okay. You know, the, the pin didn't go through the bottom bracket yeah, and it's actually pushed it out. Through the top and out You might the take them loose again and make sure they fully set into the core support and then put okay. the pins back mm-hmm. in them and see if that won't straighten yeah, them out. Yeah, because just changing the bulb should not Shouldn't. have affected the aim on them. Now, no. there, there, yeah. there is an aim on there. You can set them. And to answer your question in case it's necessary, just get you a level area in your driveway right. and back off about 30 feet and point them out at like your garage door or something like that. Right. And you can see where they're hitting on there. And then there's two little screws. One moves it in and out. One moves it up and down. And just put them where they're both right about a little bit below the center line of the truck mm-hmm. and in line with the center line of the truck. That's going to put you pretty close. Now, I find those screw points uh, when I take the headlight assembly out. Or when I don't think you have to take it out. I think they're down behind there. Kind of, They might be buried. You, you have look to look for them. I think it's two little knurled-looking white plastic nuts, if I'm not mistaken. Some, okay. of, some of those have an inverted torques, an inverted torques bit. Yeah, maybe like a little with. like a little torque fitting sticking up right. that goes down to the little screw too. Okay. Everyone's different. I just don't remember off the top of my head, but there is a means for aiming them. Now, is it is it uncommon because I noticed the uh, you know the left low beam was out and then you know tried to pull the high beam on because it's a separate bulb and mm-hmm. the, the left high beam was out. Is it uncommon for or is it? Just how it is. Sometimes they both go out. Sometimes only one of them goes out. Well, normally low beam will go out before the high beam just because it's on a lot more. Right. So generally, your low beams are going to fail prior to the high beams. Right. Right. And I checked it, and now the the left high beam was 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 out after I'd already went and bought the bulb. So hmm. I guess I'll change both of those yeah, later I, on. If I'm not mistaken, it may even use the high beam as DRLs. I but don't it, remember. But it uses it, it uses that a reduced voltage. Right. Yeah, that may be the case because. Mm-hmm. Those are on all the time. Yeah, I think it uses them as the DRL, but it just reduces the voltage so they're not as bright. Okay. All right. Okay, man. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. Lance and Glenn, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. Take the highway. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time... You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and I'll give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we got Lance has been patiently holding. Good morning, Lance. Hey, what's going on, man? Great, man. Good morning. I got a 2004 PT Cruiser, and my wife came to pick me up last night, and it uh-huh. started smoking. And I opened the hood, and the smoke was coming from right in the front from the fan, like kind of right at the, almost like at where the electrical wire connects to it. Okay. And the fan wasn't kicking on, and the car started overheating. Yeah, yeah, it'll do that. Like, insanely. And she hadn't driven it, but, you know, probably 15, about 10 minutes, and it started doing that. So I shut it off to try to put some water in it, mm-hmm. and it, it had coolant because yeah, it yeah, overflowed. Right, right. but see, the, the fan's got to turn for it, to, or it's going to overheat and idle. Uh, those right. cars are kind of notorious for that problem, and they're also notorious for fans going out on them. But yeah, yeah tell me about you it. Definitely <laughs> do not want to drive it like that because they also notorious for blowing head gaskets if they get hot. Yeah. Well, I shut it off about 20 minutes. For some reason, turning back on, the thing seemed to run fine, but the fan, I never got it to kick back on right. in right. the nighttime. So. Right. See, it's, it's, it's probably blown out the control mod. The motor is bad, drawing too much amperage. It probably fried the control module, which is the smoke you saw. And yeah. it's not going to come on anymore. But if you drive it at all, you're going to end up burning the engine up. Not only that, but you'll take yeah. out your air conditioning because the head pressure goes sky high on the AC uh, without well, that fan you, also. Well, you think maybe my th- uh, thermostats ain't no. working? No, no. Fan. It's not? Fan. No, if the, if the fan let the smoke out, yeah. the fan's uh, <laughs> the fan's toast. And like Lewis right. was saying, the module's probably gone also. Right. It's got to have that okay. fan in that car. <clears throat> See, because that, so that's that why engine. I can't tell if it's getting hot, but it, it ain't bubbling no more. But do you think I can replace that myself? It's, uh, it's well, a pretty good job. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, it's kind of well, difficult. Somebody just called me with four LSU tickets. I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to be able to make it. <laughs> well, I'll swap you, them, I'll swap you them four tickets for the fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I might have to do that there. <laughs> you worked on this car before. You've seen it, though. But okay. I, I, you, like you said, it does happen in these cars. Two yeah. years ago, I replaced it. And yeah, they're notorious for that, man. It's, it's kind of a bad design. But that engine has got to have that fan or it will overheat really fast. All right, well, I'll, that'll help me make a decision on what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right, man. Good luck to you, Lance. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Glenn online. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2000 Suburban, uh-huh. and it uh, gets driven maybe once a week. Okay. Uh, I had a gel cell battery in it that's uh-huh. six years old, uh-huh. and wow. one morning I was informed that it didn't start, and okay. I didn't turn over or anything. But all the lights and everything came on, so I took the battery down and just got it back, and they said it was bad. Uh-huh. So I got a new battery, okay. just put it in, and same problem. Okay. I don't know where to start looking uh, as to why everything works. It won't and I don't even think I hear the fuel pump running. Yeah, well, you're yeah. not going to really hear it run because it's only going to run for about a second when you cycle the key, then it's going to stop. It's not going to sit there and mm-hmm. occasionally run unless the engine's running. In other words, it's, it's got to see the crank sensor for the fuel pump to run. Uh-huh. So if you just turn the key on, it'll run for about so, a second and shut off. I'm thinking maybe is there anything like a fuse possibly? or No. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it won't crank over. When you turn the key, it won't crank. No, it won't, it won't make a sound. It just yeah. everything acts normal until you what turn you the key. What you have to do, Glenn, is get a voltmeter and go down to the starter and see uh-huh. if you've got 12 volts at the starter while you're turning the key. But if you've got 12 volts at the starter and then you have to go over to the little small lead, see if you've got 12 volts there when you turn the key. If you do, then the starter's bad. If you do not, then you got to trace down and see where the 12 volts is dropping off. You might try putting it in neutral instead of park and see if that makes a difference because it has what they call a manual lever position switch. Mm-hmm. And, I did that. Okay, and wouldn't start there either. Mm-hmm. There are several other options. I mean, there's probably two dozen things that can interrupt the starter signal, and it's just got to determine whether you got voltage at the starter or not. 
if you got voltage at the starter and you got signal at the starter, the starter's bad. But if you don't, then you got to trace it up and find out where you're losing your signal at. Would it be a security feature, you think? Normally they will crank so. and start and die when the security system on a uh, Suburban, it doesn't disable the starter unless it's got an aftermarket system in it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, no. the factory system will allow it to crank, but it won't let it run. It'll crank and die, crank and die. Well, I've got a Buick i got to tow into you that's got the same problem. Oh, but goodness. It's, it's, not, it's not ever going to start. And yeah. It's, it's a security problem, brand new battery in it, and I didn't want to have to tow this one, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> one thing you might just try, Glenn, you can get to the starter okay on it. Mean, yeah, I can get to it with my voltmeter. Okay, well, what you could even do is have somebody hold the key over to the start position, mm -hmm. take like a little small hammer and just wrap the starter and see if it starts. Yeah, I've if done that does, before on an old 1970 car. Yeah, if yeah. it does, drive it straight to the shop because okay. <laughs> it's probably going to start next time but uh, sometimes that'll get you by save you a record bill i understand all righty thank you gentlemen okay Glenn. all right thank now. you man bye, -bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour we would love to have you and we've got david online good morning david yeah i got a ford f-150 uh 02 model uh-huh and it's got a 5.4 v8 in it okay mm -hmm. and i'm changing the uh spark plugs out and i took the first one out and it's a, like a big rubber thing with the with the uh spring inside of it right that's the call and it seems like every time I put that in it, I don't know if it's not touched, not touching the top of the spark plug, the cap, or, or not. I mean, and it just don't seem like it fits in there right. Is there any oil on it or anything, David? They had just a little bit from, yeah, they got some oil on it from uh, what there was last time. And yeah. I got some more oil See, what can happen on those, if you get any oil down those holes, it'll make that rubber on that coil swell up, and it won't fit back down that hole properly. It may have been in the hole, but when you pull it out, it's going to expand, and it's not going to go back in there. Now. Yeah, no, the, the good news is you can buy just that boot kit. You yeah, don't, you I don't got buy a whole new call. Yeah, you can buy new boots and try them. Now, the only other thing I can think of, unless something fell down in the hole, like a little piece of pea gravel or something, I know they're bad about that. That little pea gravel and stuff will lay up on top of the intake. When you take the plug and the call out, it'll drop down in that hole, and that'll yeah. keep your call boot from going all the way down. So, yeah, I bought, the, uh, bought the new boots, and then I, uh, I tried the, a new one, uh -huh. and it seemed like the old one fit better. And it's, it just... It just didn't seem like it was making a good connection. Yeah, now, like it was if you bought an aftermarket brand boot, some of those just don't fit at all. I mean, they're, they're junk right out the box. You're better off with the old original equipment than you are those. So we always buy those from Ford. They just fit a whole lot better. And if you can't get a Ford one, there's a company called Standard Ignition that makes a pretty good replacement. But some of those stuff that's on the market, I mean, you would not believe we probably send back 20% of the original equipment parts we buy as defective. And aftermarket is probably ten times that high. Yeah. Defective right out of the box. Doesn't doesn't could even, doesn't even not, come close to fitting. Could that mean not getting the uh, connection the way it is, or oh, yeah. it's going to get the connection no matter what? No. Uh, it, it, what it'll do is it'll start arcing inside that boot and it'll burn the boot and call up. Yeah. And then then you're into about a hundred and what hundred and twenty dollars a call. Ah, uh, those are about eighty, 80 or ninety. Yeah. yeah. But still, kind of kind of expensive. An expensive lesson. Yeah, not only that, but moisture gets down there and corrodes the plugs up and locks them up in the engine so you can't get them out. You, you need one that fits right. Yes, sir. All right. All right, well, thank you, man. You okay, Dave. All you, right, man. now. Bye. Bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Tom online. Good morning, Tom. Oh, how y'all doing? Good, Good great, morning. Sir. Good morning. I got a simple question. Okay. I've got a 96 Honda Accord, and I got a check engine light on, and they tell me it's because the torque converter in the transmission is failing and it's going to require a whole new transmission yeah p7046 i don't know the answer to that yeah that normal code that it says very common problem yeah, on it. yeah i think that's right yeah yeah bless uh, it bless it 
Plus, it's an environmental code, which means you can't pass inspection. Right. No, that's pretty common on those, Tom. They had some trouble with those transmissions, no doubt about it, and they recalled them up to 100,000 miles, I think 107,000 miles in seven years. Well, I didn't uh, get that notice. Well, you're not going to get it because it's not a safety issue. But oh, okay. it, it had you gone well, in question, during that period. My, yeah, yeah, yeah no, it doesn't mean that the transmission's gone out necessarily, but it's a pretty high likelihood that it is. There well, are two the, solenoids that can also cause the same code. Yeah. So it needs to be properly diagnosed by somebody you trust before I go put a transmission in it. But i got to tell you, that's pretty common on those. Well, I've got 199000 on it. Well, you did good. Well, my question is, is that what's the criteria before you invest money like that in a car with a high mileage in like that? I mean, is do it you, just prosthetics? Do you like the car? Yeah, I like the car. But Does it do everything you want to do? Most of the time. Well, then it's cheaper to fix it than it is to buy anything else. Well, that's a true statement. You know, I, I mean, building that transmission properly so it just doesn't ever happen again is going to be probably somewhere around three grand. Yeah, that's why uh, I was estimated thirty-eight. What, what you going to buy for three grand? You can't buy the worst piece of junk on the used market for three thousand dollars. This one's good sold. except for that yeah. one problem, you know. Yeah, and I'm the sole owner of this car. Well, that's, that's right. even better. Yeah, that's I'm, even I mean, better. We can build that transmission and give you a three-year, fifty-thousand-mile warranty on it. So you forget about transmission for three years of fifty thousand miles. You know, I've got I've got a guy who can build that transmission better than Honda ever built it. I mean, he can fix all the problems that it originally had, and and I mean that way. I mean, you can't buy anything else for three thousand dollars. Oh, that's a true statement. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good car. Other than that, and I mean, I ain't gonna say nothing else is ever gonna break. But I mean, you could probably get another three or four years out of it. Which, you know, you take three grand, divide it by three years, man, that's know, about, a thousand bucks. Yeah. Yeah, eighty bucks a month. I mean, what you could drive for eighty bucks a month. Right. So. All right. Well, I appreciate the help. The all information. Right. Okay, Tom. Thank you, man. I right, do want to pour the automotive iron. Let's see. Red have to hold on because we've got to take another quick little break. We'll be back. You'll be right at the top of the list. Hey, Mike. Heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep. Did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Host Lewis Alpazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we got Brett's been patiently holding. Good morning, Brett. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. We got an old four Nissan Frontier. Likes uh -huh. to run hot. Okay. New thermostat. Okay. No thermostat. Before, before you tell me all the stuff you changed and didn't need changing, tell me this. When does it run hot? All the time. No. Nope. Anytime the air conditioner's on, okay, traffic. Now, when does it run hot? Is that an idle or is it when you're going down the road? Both. Are you absolutely sure about that? I'm positive. All right. If you got to actually turn If it runs hot all the time, 
Then yeah, you, you got to turn the heater on to okay. cool it down. Well, <laughs> you can forget about the thermostat. You forget about the fan. You forget about all that stuff. You got a capacity issue. In other words, you're producing more heat than the engine can get rid of. Okay. The number one cause of that would be the radiator is partially restricted. So it's okay. not going to be able to get rid of enough heat. See, a fan will only work when it's sitting still. It'll low heat out, okay? Correct. So you got 40 mile an hour air running through this thing when you're going down the road. So if it's still overheating, you got some kind of a capacity issue. The radiator should drop temperature about 40 degrees across the core and it should be equal all the way across the core. In other words, real hot on one side and gradually decreasing as it goes across. Right. If it's not, then you're going to build more heat than you're going to be able to get rid of, and it's going to, the further you drive it, the hotter it's going to get. Yeah, you got to actually turn the heater on. The right, that's up. just making another little radiator is what that's exactly. doing. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that would be my number one choice on it. It's possible, although not too likely on that one, a head gasket that's leaking slightly can do the same exact thing. Because what happens, compression can leak into the coolant, which will overheat it, and the radiator can't get rid of enough heat. So is that the original radiator in there, Brett? Yeah. Okay, well, you figure seven years old, you're probably pretty close. Probably do for a new one. Yeah, you're getting pretty close anyway. I was going to say you could have it tested, but by the time you take it out and have it tested, radiators are fairly cheap. You'd probably be just as well. I mean, that radiator's going to probably last seven, eight years maximum anyway. Yeah. I would say that's most likely going to fix your problem. Cool. All right. I've got a 91 Chevrolet. Every time you step on the brake or anything electrical, mm-hmm. the RPMs come up 300. <laughs> are the RPM? can you yeah, hear the engine raise engine, up, or are you just watching surge, the tack? Engine surge, uh, blinker, it surges with the blinker. Okay, I would probably suspect a vacuum leak at the booster. What you could try, Brett, is to block off that big line that goes to the brake booster. Uh-huh. Because what's happening when you're hitting the brakes, if it's leaking, you're going to get a vacuum leak, which is going to speed the engine up because you're giving it more air. Well, it even does it with the blinkers, the headlights, anything electrical. <laughs> okay, if you turn anything on electrical, the RPMs it, go up. Anything on. <laughs> and it even surges with the blinker. Yeah, you got a ground off somewhere or, or ground misdirected somewhere yeah. on the engine. You just have to find it. You have to figure out what things affect it. And then go to a wiring diagram and see what grounds those all have in common. What it's doing is grounding back through the idle control servo because that's the only ground it can find. In other words, if you've got an inadequate or no ground, it's just going to back up through the wiring until it finds one. And if the first one it finds is the idle servo, it's going to pulse it, which is going to speed your RPM up in time with the blink. All right, great. You guys right. have a great day. All right, Brett. All right, thank you, man. Bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Go ahead and give us a call. On cooling system problems, the key to diagnosis, I get this a lot. I uh-huh. mean, a lot. And folks say, well, maybe it's just me. Well, maybe it's all kind of things. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't have air in a spare tire, but that's not the problem <laughs> with this, you know. Well, you got to go into it with a level head and a common right. sense of diagnosis. Right. And the first thing you always need to know is when does it overheat? Right. Because you can go two different directions from that one You can answer. eliminate almost half the possibilities right. if you just think for a second about that. Because if it overheats only at an idle and it starts to cool down when you go down the road, well, okay. now we're into an airflow issue of some sort. Exactly. We could have a cooling fan. We could have a bad fan clutch. We could have a restricted intake on uh-huh. the radio. We could have all kinds of stuff like that. But that's the sort of things we're looking for. Right. If it overheats when you're driving down the road, you can forget about the fans and stuff because you got 40 mile an hour wind blowing through that radiator going down the road. That's more than the fan can produce anyway. Mm-hmm. So now we're into some sort of a capacity issue where it can't give off enough heat it's producing. 
Now, if it gets hotter as you drive it, the further you go, the hotter it gets. Again, you're into a capacity issue. Either a restricted radiator, bad radiator, head Something gasket blocked. leaking hydrocarbons into the coolant. And, you know, that's the devil to find. It is, because the test that they have to check for hydrocarbons is not a very... Very inconclusive. Right. A positive test will definitely mean that you got a problem, but a negative test does doesn't not mean, mean it does. you don't have a problem. Right, and what makes it so much worse is that you have to execute the test under the same conditions that brings on the overheat. Exactly. Only overheats after you drive for 10 miles, then you have to go drive at 10 miles and then run the test. And when you run the test, you have to lower the level in the radiator so that there's room for those gases to build up on top of the tank. Then sample the gases off the top of the radiator tank, and then you might get a. And I have fixed an awful lot where there were absolutely no symptoms. The only symptom was the thing kept overheating. Right. Pull the head, there's a blown head gas, you change it, and never overheats again. So it's very difficult to do that, but if you know what things bring on the overheat, then you're going to be way, way, way ahead of the curve rather than just going in and start changing this, changing this, changing that. And another thing I was listening to you say is they took the thermostat out. Well, that will definitely cause the overheat because now the water won't stay in the radiator long enough to cool off. Exactly. You're not restricting it, so it's just flowing too fast, and it just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So no thermostat can make an engine overheat just by itself. And there again, you know, you start throwing parts at it. Right. You may create another problem on top of the original problem. Well, that's right. And and never really get it fixed. That's right. I've seen people get rid of vehicles. Oh, absolutely. For that reason. All the time. They just say, oh, this thing, man, just too many problems. Get rid of it. Well, right. You're, you're creating a problem, man. Exactly. So let's see if we can catch one more call before our break. We got Tom on the line. Good morning, Tom. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. Lewis, uh, I just wanted to say first that I'm not. I've never really, really been a car guy, but mm-hmm. I look forward to your show every Saturday. Oh, thank you. You, you make the subject very interesting. Oh, thank you. Um, and I find the whole, you know, you're personally very engaging, and it makes the topic interesting. Oh, thank you. But uh, I was curious, have you ever came across the Volkswagen, it was called The Thing, back yes. in the 1970s? I remember yeah. And, every, I mean, is I don't see a lot of them anymore. And no. I was curious, do you know where you can, you know, find out more information about maybe trying to get one just for fun? Wow, yeah, those were based on an old Volkswagen that they built for the military called a Kubelwagen. That's correct, Which was yeah. sort of like the old German Jeep. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen one in years, but I'm sure there are still plenty of them around. It was basically just an air-cooled Volkswagen, just like your Beetle and all, with a different body on it. I would almost bet you, Tom, if you went on and Googled it, you're going to find four or five user groups around that who have those things. Mm-hmm. It amazes me how much stuff like that is still around. I've got an affinity for the old half-tracks from World War II, the old sure. uh, mm-hmm. half-tracks they used in North Africa. And mm-hmm. I Googled that one time, and there's an entire organization that buys, rebuilds, and restores those things and, and, wow. and newsletters and everything else. So I think if you went on the Internet and Googled it, you're going to probably find several people, and they're going to lead you to exactly where you could probably find one. Probably find one right here close. I'll bet you there's one or two or five sitting in garages somewhere in Baton Rouge. And sure. If you go on that forum, start posting a little bit what you want, and people mm-hmm. will start looking out for you because, you know, 100,000 sets of eyes is better than one set of eyes. Sure. But I wouldn't doubt there's there's several of them sitting in Baton Rouge somewhere that, some you know, it broke years ago or somebody owned it and they died or whatever and their wife kept it or who sure. knows what, and you may be able to pick up a real nice one, fairly reasonable. They are cool little vehicles. They, are, they really are. Well, Lewis, I really appreciate your help. Thank All right, you. Tom. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one last little break, and we'll be right back with more. So, T. 
Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? we still got plenty of time left. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Yeah, it was an interesting call, the last fellow we were talking to, and I haven't seen one of those. I haven't seen one in years. years. Yeah. I'm I know, sure there's probably still plenty of them around. I knew uh, a guy that used to have one. Man, really? He drove that thing everywhere. Yeah, I had a buddy that had a transporter. Remember those? It looked uh, like a van, but the back was notched out and made a pickup yes, truck in the back. Yes, I yeah, do remember Volkswagen those. Volkswagen transporter. Uh-huh. Yeah, old John Bromley. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Anybody who drive around a Volkswagen transporter, though, he probably ain't up no good wherever he's I at. I tell you what, those, those things were something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the whole series of them, the things, the transports, mm -hmm. the buses, right. the Beatles. right. They were all basically the same drive yeah, line. They, they just had different bodies on. They were and cool little vehicles. Oh you know, yeah, a lot of people they just were neat. Well, yeah, a lot of folks just kind of march to the tune of a different drummer, and they just don't want a cookie cutter vehicle. That, that's and, it, and <laughs> that's why they make all different kinds. And yeah, that, that is a pretty cool one if you want something to restore. Uh, I don't think it would cost you a fortune to restore it. It was a pretty simple little old machine. I wouldn't think so. Uh, not Ain't a whole lot to them. Not a tons of gadgets and gizmos on there to break, so you could probably get one and fix it up pretty nice. And it's not definitely not something you're gonna see every day. No, oh, that's it. <laughs> you definitely gonna stand out in the crowd. <laughs> <with that one. laughs> Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. Ben, good morning, Ben. Good morning, guys. How you doing? doing good great, morning. Sir. Hey, look, uh, I got an 04 Dodge Ram. Every once in a while, this little lightning bolt comes on, and I think it has something to do with ETC, uh, the, the throttle. Okay. That's familiar. It's, what does it do when that light comes on? I, I lose throttle control. I mean, I, I lose, lose power. control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pull over, cut it off. Right. Something to do with a drive-by wire, I'm sure. that They've had a fair amount of trouble on those, Ben, particularly with the 04. I think that's the first year of drive-by wire on Dodge. <laughs> And all it is is a series of sensors in the pedal that's hooking up to a little stepper motor in the throttle body, and it's constantly watching for correlation between those steppers and, I mean, between the sensors, and if it loses it on one of them, it knows it's a possible malfunction, so as a safety feature, it knocks you back to like half throttle. And it's something in there that's going to do that. It will set a code in the memory when that occurs. And if you got a Dodge scan tool, that would be a star mobile on that one. You can go in and retrieve that code, go in and see what it is. But a lot of times we find connections can cause that. Some of the wires are not making up quite as good as they should. It can be a bad throttle body. They have had trouble with that. It's just sort of a problematic system. It's probably one of my least 
favorite parts of a whole car, but that's what we got now. So, and, and particularly the older ones like that. In 04 is when they first started coming out. They had a lot of little glitches and bugs. One thing, too, that you might want to check is get into a shop who knows what to do and let them check for TSVs and see if Chrysler doesn't have a flash update to the computer for that. You know, we can do that for you, check for TSBs, and if it has one, we can reflash the computer. Sometimes when they originally designed the vehicle, they overlook something. It's got a little bug in the software, and there's an update software that you can go ahead and burn to the computer, and that will correct that kind of stuff. Good deal. All righty. Thanks, Ken. Okay, Ben. All Thanks, right. man. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. That's something that a lot of folks, even though they've been around for years and years and years, a lot of folks are still not really familiar, is the flash updates. And your computer on your car, or should I say computers, because virtually all cars. Several. Yeah, most of them are going to have between 10 and 20 computers on uh -huh. board. They're all communicating with each other, but they're not a whole lot different from your disk computer at home, where Windows will come out with a program, and then later on they'll say, well, we found this problem, this problem, this problem, so here's an update. Exactly. And you go into their website, you download the update, and it fixes the, fixes problem. the problems. Well, cars are exactly the same way. There's tons and tons and tons of different updates that have come out since your car came out. Some of them are pretty minor. It may be like a smoother shift on, from one gear to another. Right. Some of them fix speedometer problems where the speedometer doesn't read exactly accurate at a certain speed. Other ones fix check engine light problems. There's just running problems. Running problems. I right. know, like on the Chevy pickups, there was one for idle concerns. Right. A lot of later model Chevy pickups had a rough idle under certain conditions, and there was a flash update to correct that. It works pretty good. But the point is, any competent shop, you don't ever have to go back to a dealership for that. Any competent shop has the capability of doing that. Mm -hmm. I know we maintain all of the General Motors, Chrysler, Ford, Toyota, and Honda scan tools. The, original factory tools right and we've got access to their website so we can download that information of course they don't give it to you they charge you for it but right you can reprogram all those computers and a lot of times fix weird little nagging problems uh, we had a saturn come in earlier this week that the check engine light kept coming on and it was setting an o2 code right and the guy had changed the oxygen sensor twice i changed both sensors twice light kept coming on finally brought it in and there's a tech bulletin on it, so we reflash computer when out lights out. It was just a glitch in the software. Uh -huh. Had he brought it to us to start with, he probably could have saved himself four or five hundred dollars on stuff he didn't need. Right. Just because it was a little bug. And that's something to do it yourself. Some shops don't even well know lot, about it. Yet. A lot of shops just don't maintain all that because you do have to pay for every one. And if you don't work on enough of them, it's not cost effective. But they can generally refer you to someone who can do it. Uh -huh. The point is you don't ever have to go back to a dealer for that. Exactly. Uh, most of your quality shops are going to have the capability to do it. And if they don't, they can know somebody who can do it for you at a better job at a lower price. So let's go back to our phone lines. Ray, good morning, Ray. Morning, sir. I have a question. Sure. I have a 2000 Avalon. Yes, sir. And the engine light came on. They told me it's an oxygen sensor. When I took it to the dealership, I want to buy one. They said there is three of them, two at front, one in the back. That's I just correct. want to ask you, my question to you is which one usually goes out? Which one? The there, no, there's no usual, Ray, but the code will tell you which one it is. No, because AutoZone, they didn't tell me. They have well, that's they why don't you have need to the go proper, to a real shop. Yeah, they don't have the proper tools to tell right. you. You need to go to a real shop and get it checked and find out which one it is because the code will tell you which one it is. Oh, okay. See, well, and I it doesn't even mean the auction sensor is bad. It just uh, means the oxygen sensor is reading out of range. Right. See, you can have a vacuum reason. leak on the engine, and the oxygen sensor will read out of range. 
Okay. And, and lots of other things can make a sensor read out of range. Right. doesn't mean the sensor's bad. So you need uh, to bring that to someone and pay for a proper diagnosis. It'll be a lot cheaper than buying parts and throwing it out and hoping to fix it. You know, I don't want to start just changing all of them. That's mm -hmm. true. They are too expensive. Thanks yep. a lot. Sir. All righty. Thank you, Ray. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. You know, I see so many people sucked into that trap. Oh, yeah, every absolutely. Day. Well, anytime you see the word free. Yeah, run. Uh, just look out, man. Just because <laughs> you're fixing to get it. You yeah. Know? Nobody's doing anything for free. You're going to pay for everything you ever get in this life. And unfortunately, there's too many people who think things are free nowadays. That's right. Which is a big part of what's wrong with our country as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> that's a totally different story. That's a whole nother story, a whole nother show. But, yeah, nothing is ever free. And no. when you hear the word free, you better look out because you're fixing to get it. Yeah, something's something's fixing to happen. That's right. So you go in, pay somebody to check it properly, and there's really only one reason to do that, because it's a lot cheaper. Right, it's going to save you money. It's going to save you money. You know, if you got money to burn, I mean, if you're lighting cigars with $100 bills, then do that. <laughs> you know, it don't matter you know, to yeah. you. Yeah. If you're an average old Joe six-pack and you ain't got money to waste, well, then you need to go somewhere and have them tell you what's wrong and fix it right the first time because it's just going to be a whole lot cheaper than throwing money at it. Well, that's it. Somebody can tell you what's wrong with it, guarantee what's wrong with it. You can even take it home and fix it yourself that's if right. you want it. That's right. But you at least, at least air. get a proper but diagnosis exactly. on it because too many things can cause that same issue. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Debbie. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. I was wondering, I have a 2003 525i BMW. Yes, ma'am. Do you recommend preventative maintenance after, well, it just came out of the extended warranty. Mm -hmm. Does your company do preventative maintenance? Uh, yes, ma'am. We can do pretty much any kind of maintenance. Now, we don't service German cars or anything but Jap or American cars as far as, like, check engine lights and all that stuff. But well, I'm not as, having any problems yeah, with it. As far as maintenance, we can do anything on that. You know, wheel alignment, transmission service, radiator service, anything it would need. And we've got all the data as far as what BMW requires. And, yes, ma'am, to ask your question, we can do all that. Oil changes? Yes, yes ma'am. Ma I can do anything except the check engine light on them. I just don't fool with that because I, just, I don't work on enough of them to justify right. the expense of the equipment that it costs takes to do it. Well, it just ran out of the preventative maintenance. Yes, ma'am. And I had you, your company do a brake job. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. And so I will be bringing it in to you just for preventative maintenance Absolutely. probably in the next week for an oil change. Yes, ma'am. We'll be, be great. Glad to do it. Okay, thank right, you. Thanks, yes, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, I believe we got time to catch Sam. Good morning, Sam. Hey, how you doing, sir? Doing great, sir. Good morning. All right. I got the 2002 uh, Mitsubishi Montara Limited. Mm -hmm. I got the surface engine on. Okay. I checked it. At, I don't know how, uh, the, what you think about the qualify of the machine. Well, they, they wouldn't be selling parts if they could fix cars. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I would and take the car to a competent mechanic, have them check it for you, and tell you what's really wrong with it. Yeah. It'd be a lot cheaper. Yeah, but they, they gave me the, the code is uh, 155, which is the uh, oxygen sensor. Mm -hmm. And on that car, I looked and under it, mm -hmm. under the car, which mm -hmm. is where the driver's side, right. there is a three of there. That's right. But which one I need to... Well, you got to have somebody check and tell you which one, because the proper code will give you not only the sensor's bad, but it'll tell you which sensor's bad. That's but, right. See, the right. problem is, Sam, that the uh, oxygen sensor code does not ever mean that the sensor's bad. Okay. You can have a vacuum leak. If you got a vacuum leak, it's running too lean. Well, the sensor's going to read too lean. It's going to set an oxygen sensor code. You can have a bad airflow meter. It doesn't agree with the oxygen sensor, so it's going to set an oxygen sensor code. You could have uh, an unplugged wire. I mean, you could have a bad engine computer. You could have any one of dozens of different things. See, that's the problem with going in and getting a code and taking it literally. Those codes can't be taken literally. No, the, the guy that wrote the, the program for that had in his mind 
this is going to turn this on, this is going to turn that off. Right, so, so you know, yeah. it, it doesn't li- literally mean that the sensor's bad. Although it could be, it doesn't mean that it is. But a proper diagnosis will identify, yes, it is, and also which which sensor is causing the problem. Hey, sorry, we're just totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening every week. That's right. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.